Hi, folks. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, your host, Sarah Avery. This Thursday is Yom HaShoah, or Holocaust Remembrance Day, and it's not unusual on that day to hear from Holocaust survivors who we've come to count on to retell their experiences there and to be the connection to that atrocity. But for some of the 200,000 Holocaust survivors that are still alive, remembering at this stage of their life is not something they do voluntarily. In fact, many of them are finding themselves overwhelmed by memories they worked very hard over the past 70 years to keep at bay. Karen Brown has this report. It's a quiet weekday afternoon, and I'm visiting with Michael Krause and his wife Alana, old family friends, in their suburban Boston home. As we sit down on the couch, Alana invites her husband to move closer. Come next to me. Yes? Alana has made us lunch, which she says is a treat for her, because Michael rarely comes home this early. At 81, he still goes in almost every day to the architecture firm where he's worked for some 40 years. I feel that once I stop working, it will be much harder to find this other active life that uh, is not overtaken by the past. Michael Krauss is friendly and quiet, with a sardonic sense of humor— Born in Czechoslovakia in 1930, he was the only member of his immediate family who survived the Holocaust. Both of his parents died in concentration camps. Kraus believes he was spared because he was young and fit, which may explain why seven decades later he still acts as though survival depends on his endurance. He always pushes himself to the limit when it's hiking or skiing. He has to get to the top, even though he almost gets a heart attack. Michael Krauss is among the last wave of survivors who've led long, productive lives, despite their early experience. But now, in the last chapter of their life, they're fighting both for and against the memories, with varying degrees of success. After liberation, survivors like Michael Krauss appeared on the outside relatively unscathed. I really put away the past fairly successfully, simply because I had to make my way in the new world. First I was alone in Canada, then in the United States I was with a cousin. Their attitude was... The more you can forget, the better. For decades, Michael Krauss immersed himself in his career and in his family life. He avoided violent movies. He didn't read survivor memoirs. I live another, a second life. My, my Holocaust is a separate life. It's not something that uh, I talk about. But as he ages, Krauss says it's getting harder to keep those two lives from bleeding into each other. For other survivors, the strategies that protected them for decades have stopped working altogether. What I hear in the hallway, that when I am going to go out, they're going to give me a bullet in the head. I am going to fall over and I wouldn't even know who killed me. In this documentary called Prisoner of Her Past, we meet Sonia Reich. She's a Holocaust survivor who never told her family what she went through as a young girl alone in Poland to escape the Nazis. After the war, Sonia spent 50 years as a composed suburban housewife in Skokie, Illinois. Until late one night, on the 10th anniversary of her husband's death, she ran screaming down her quiet street. She thought someone was trying to kill her. 
in the film made by her son Howard, we see Sonia living in a nursing home and confusing her life now with her life then. Do not throw no needles at me while I am in my room. Do not throw any crawling box at me while I am in my room. Howard Reich, a journalist, uses the film to educate other survivor families who, like him, were blindsided by this kind of disturbing behavior. At first, Howard tells me, he thought it was Alzheimer's disease, but the symptoms didn't line up. If you talk to my mother, she can tell you the names of everyone in the nursing home. She's constantly absorbing new information like a sponge, which Alzheimer's patients cannot do. She's, she's on the ball, except these past traumas that she's trying to keep down are intruding is the word psychiatrists use. They're intruding on her present consciousness. She thinks there's a yellow star of David on her clothes. Sonia Reich was diagnosed with late-onset post-traumatic stress disorder, a syndrome in which the psychological effects of trauma come out after many years of dormancy. It's similar to the kind of PTSD you see in combat veterans, flashbacks, delusions, nightmares, anxiety. But in this case, there may be a 50- or 60-year incubation period. She's basically in hiding again. It just happens to be in what we know is a safe place. Kathy Bowen is a social worker in Springfield, Massachusetts. She saw the same thing happen to one of her elderly Jewish clients. For 40 years, he never spoke of his time in concentration camps. Then one day he broke his hip and entered a rehab facility. He became extremely combative with staff. He was hallucinating. He was fighting people who were trying to care for him. He just would lash out if you came close to him. You could tell he was hearing what was going on, but also he was, you could tell he was hearing something else at the same time. An organization in Israel, Amcha, estimates that 40,000 survivors today suffer from delayed PTSD. Elio Kover works for the New York Social Service Agency Self-Help, which was founded in the 1930s to help Jews fleeing Europe. It's almost like the Holocaust was like radiation, was like a toxin. You can't see it, and you don't know how it's going to come out. My mother's life is bookended by the Holocaust, not only from the late 1930s and 40s, but again, in her case, in the 21st century. And she is she's locked between these two places. And it, it was tragic the first time, and I feel it's doubly tragic that it should happen again. After the war, the medical field was slow to recognize the Holocaust's psychological impact. Very few survivors got therapy, and most doctors didn't encourage them to. Robert Krell is a Vancouver-based psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust hiding out with a Dutch family. He thinks psychologists missed an opportunity to help survivors process what happened early on, before their brains hardened around the trauma. Mental health professionals uh, couldn't get a handle on what had happened. So they, they basically said survivors were in denial. They didn't want to share their experiences, et cetera, et cetera, which is all nonsense. Uh, the survivors wanted to talk, and there was no one to listen. It wasn't until the Vietnam War that psychiatry recognized the long-term effects of trauma, first in combat veterans, then in other populations. More recently, psychiatrists have identified the delayed symptoms of trauma, symptoms that seem to explode in old age. Granted, during their middle years, many survivors show signs that something is not quite right. Studies have shown that high-functioning Holocaust survivors have abnormally high rates of heart disease, thyroid disorders, other physical problems, as well as paranoia and anxiety. 
Michael Krauss says he's had bouts of serious depression. When Howard Reich looks back on his childhood, he remembers odd things his mother did that he hadn't yet connected to her years of running and hiding. When I'd wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, I would see my mother in the darkened living room of our house, sitting on the floor, peering out the window in the little crack between where the shade ends and the windowsill begins, kind of keeping vigil. But for the most part, survivors like Sonia could pass as well-adjusted. Until finally, they couldn't anymore. Unlike Michael Krauss, who is still highly functional, Sonia Reich fits into a less fortunate group, who researchers say just run out of psychological stamina. Something may have reignited old pain and memories, like the death of a spouse, a major illness, or Krauss says simply the biological imperative to look back at your life. He calls it the age of nostalgia. When the age of nostalgia hits a Holocaust survivor, where do they go into their memories? They go back into everything that was beyond horrific. Depression is almost a given, he says, made worse in a subset of survivors by cognitive decline. Dementia can eat away at the protective walls erected by the mind years earlier. When my father at age 81 or so developed something akin to a dementia when one day I visited him in his old age home, pointed out to me his favorite caretaker, whom he had known as a family friend for at least 30 years, and said to me, uh, Rob, be careful of her, she's Gestapo. For some, entering a nursing home and losing the power to make decisions for yourself can bring back fears of Nazi persecution. Social worker Kathy Bowen remembers her client cowering every time anyone in a white coat came near him. When the smells and the antiseptic and the, and the screaming, I mean, in nursing homes, there's a lot of screaming, unfortunately. And he didn't know that he was in a nursing home and safe in this facility. He was back in the camps. Even lucid old age brings constant reminders of loss, loss of health, of friends, of independence, of productivity. These are hard changes for anyone. But for survivors, Krell says, they release old trauma. Retiring, of course, is, is, uh, is a massive trigger. You know, so many survivors have coped into their old age by keeping extraordinarily busy. It, it wards off memory. I know the ones who worked uh, an 18-hour day and slept for six hours uh, from exhaustion and got up again, did it again. And they did that for 40 years or so, and then they stopped working. And uh, they were a train wreck. Holocaust survivors have been getting old for almost 70 years. By now, their late-life experience shouldn't be a surprise. Delayed PTSD is well covered in the medical literature. Even so, it took Howard Reich a year to get the right diagnosis for his mother. I think it's stunning that the doctors missed this. On my mother's medical records, it says something like, 69-year-old Holocaust survivor believes dogs are chasing her. Now, how much more do you need to connect the dots? Uh, and yet the doctors did not. They insisted it was delusional disorder, Reich says, until he found an expert in PTSD. And when Kathy Bowen was trying to help her client, she was surprised to learn how few nursing homes and caregivers knew about the boomerang effect of trauma. They didn't know this could happen with Holocaust survivors. They just didn't have any idea. While the numbers are shrinking, the remaining survivors are going to need considerable care over the next two decades. 
Eliu Cover's agency, Self Help, looks after 5,000 survivors in New York City. And he says social workers are trained to avoid doing things that could trigger memories of persecution, like throwing away a client's food or possessions without permission. At the same time, psychiatrist Robert Krell thinks it's important not to deny a survivor's history, given how much they worry the world will forget what happened. It's better, he says, to help them gain control over their memories. Such massive trauma cannot be treated. There is no cure. However, there are strategies for assisting survivors with their narrative history, putting together the pieces of their memory. That's what Michael Krauss is doing. For years, Krauss willed his memories to stay vague and fuzzy. But now he's trying to reconstruct his past before his mind starts to fail. These are your drawings? Yeah, these are the the original sketches scanned. But they will not look like that. They will be... For the past few years, he's been poring over the diaries he kept just after liberation. It's all obviously handwritten in... Krauss's diary has been published in Czech and will be translated into English for the Holocaust Museum. This is his way of meeting his duty to history while keeping his pain at arm's length. Robert Krell has worked with lots of survivors on the same kind of project, videotaping their testimony or helping them write memoirs. It is impossible to carry around constantly the images of all that happened to them. They're replayed every day in one way or another, and they're re-triggered. So a chronologic accounting is a very healing kind of thing. It puts together all the fragments of memory into some kind of narrative. And having that narrative is a relief in one's mind. Howard Reich trying to get his mother to talk about her story. But she just doesn't have the emotional distance. She thinks she's still in immediate danger and doesn't trust doctors or really anyone. They call me here a prostitute. After all, come on. I am not a prostitute. All I can do is visit her, not deny what she's saying, not denying the delusions, and and be around her and be with her and visit her. There's nothing else I can do for her except have her in this safe place, which I do, because if I wouldn't, she'd be running out on the streets again. Reich believes those with less severe cases can be treated with psychotherapy or medication, and he wishes more people had been offered therapy after the war. But he recognizes that denial has a purpose— It's what allowed his mother 50 pretty good years. And people say, you know, if your mother just had talked about this, she would have been better. Um, I don't think so. It's not that simple. And my mother's way of dealing with it was trying to put away the very worst time in her life. And that's that's we have to respect her way of handling her own life. Although Sonia Reich can't be distracted out of her worst memories, some survivors can. We're going to have a little happy music Every month, Self Help puts on a survivor's reunion lunch with music and dancing, but never a buffet because standing in line can remind them of the camps. Instead, they mingle at tables. I'm going to be 83 in five weeks. I'm 83. These gatherings may not directly treat post traumatic stress, but they can lessen the isolation that feeds it. Musician Ari Lachans, a DJ who specializes in Holocaust reunions, understands this. I learned over the years that they like specific types of happy songs with a little bit of sadness, almost like in a Jewish wedding when you have the big chuppah and then you break the glass to remember the destruction of the temple. They have to remember the sadness too. So you have to mix it up a little bit, keep it bittersweet. As I walked around the dance floor, several survivors asked me to take their photo with my camera and made me promise to send them the picture. 
This was a moment they wanted to remember. For Tablet Magazine, I'm Karen Brown. Karen Brown is a writer and radio producer who lives in Western Massachusetts. To find out more about some of the resources available for aging Holocaust survivors, go to our website, tabletman.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Avery. We thank you so much for listening. Please join us again next time.